Hello and welcome to another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. My name is Andrei Matyshak and I work as the deputy head of foreign desk in Slovak Daily Pravda. Speculations about his death were hugely exaggerated in the past, but now it seems that the leader of Nigerian terrorist group Boko Haram, Abu Bakr Shekau, is really dead. What does it mean for the organization that is known for its brutality? Will the possible collapse of Boko Haram strengthen a rival group, the Islamic State West African province, ISWAP? And by the way, if Shekau is finally dead, what about the persistent rumors that the leader of Al-Qaeda, Ayman al-Zawahri, also died? I have tried to unwrap those issues when talking to David Gertenstein Ross, a founder and chief executive officer of Violence Global and the author of Bin Laden's Legacy, the book I can only recommend. Listen to our conversation. How do you assess the media reports that the leader of the Nigerian terrorist group Boko Haram Abu Bakr Shekau has killed himself? Allegedly, he died detonating explosives on himself. The uh, reports seem pretty credible um, that he died in the way that is reported, uh, having detonated explosives, kill himself. Uh, What seems very clear is that he is, in fact, dead this time around. His death had been reported incorrectly a large number of times in the past, um, probably about a dozen times. This time is different. And both from the multiplicity of sources being cited, surrounding audio recordings, and also other activities, including more Islamic State West Africa province or ISWAP raids against Boko Haram positions just after the alleged or um, the reported killing of Shikau, it seems highly likely that he is in fact dead this time around. The source, or we can say the main source of the info about Shekau's death is a Boko Haram rival group, Islamic State, West Africa province, ISWAP. How much do we know about the rivalry among those groups and how it affects the security environment in Nigeria and maybe even beyond? A great deal is known about the rivalry. The initial reasons for the split are known. Uh, initially, Abu Bakr Shekau aligned Boko Haram, uh, the entire militant group before the split with ISWAP, with uh, the Islamic State back in 2015. Thereafter, the Islamic State, its central leadership in Syria, ended up replacing Shekau as uh, the leader um, of the their affiliate in Nigeria. Uh, Shekau was very jealous with the the about the leadership that had replaced him. There was infighting between the two. We know that the infighting was very deadly, and you know ultimately culminating in uh, both Shekau's death and the series of raids that followed uh, thereafter. Uh, the split in the jihadist ranks it was is probably um, something which benefited the Nigerian security services and the J- Nigerian people writ large in that these militant factions fighting each other probably 
resulted in a d diminution of their strength overall. Though sometimes it's inconclusive as to whether infighting in the jihadist ranks actually depletes jihadists or provides them with other opportunities. At any rate, a lot is known about the infighting. Um, it seems that this is part of an orchestrated uh, power play on ISWAP's part. In the video uh, that was, in, in the audio rather, that was released um, reporting on uh, the death of Shakao, Abu Musab al-Barnawi, who is the ISWAP leader, talked about how Shakao was someone who committed unimaginable terrorism. Barnawi said, how many has he wasted? How many has he killed? How many has he terrorized? Basically portraying himself and ISWAP as being a less brutal alternative to, to Boko Haram's tactics. That's interesting. The fact that you had an escalation in ISWAP raids on Boko Haram positions following the raid that killed Shakao is also interesting and suggests their attempts to consolidate power. There are reports of Boko fighters defecting to ISWAP following uh, the death of Shakao. So this seems to be a, a plan that is rolling out where after Shakao dies, they're trying to get as many people as possible to turn towards ISWAP and ISWAP's leadership and are making a play at trying to cripple the remnants of the Boko Haram group that had uh, surrounded Abu Bakr Shakao. You said that ISWAP is now trying to portray Boko Haram and Shakao as very brutal. Why this message of moderation? Is ISWAP trying to attract more people into their ranks? This is a, a very good question. So let's start with the basic differences between ISIS and Al-Qaeda when it comes to um, indiscriminate attacks on civilians. Uh, this is outside the realm of Boko Haram and ISWAP, but we'll get to ISWAP and Boko in a second. When Al-Qaeda and ISIS uh, split with Al-Qaeda you know, expelling ISIS in February of 2014, uh, one of the big differences between the two organizations is that Ayman al-Zawahiri, the leader of Al-Qaeda, had put in place new rules for jihad and was trying to reduce the amount of overt brutality that Al-Qaeda was carrying out. Now, Al-Qaeda is still a brutal organization, but they tended to keep their brutality off camera. Uh, when you get to ISWAP and Boko Haram, you know, we're talking about kind of a, a, a different level. Um, Shikau was an extraordinarily, extraordinarily bloodthirsty and indiscriminate leader. ISWAP uh, had criticized him primarily over two issues. One was indiscriminate targeting of Muslim civilians, and the second one is the use of child suicide bombers. Now, um, as to what uh, Barnawi and ISWAP are trying to do in their criticism of Shakao, there are almost certainly multiple dimensions to, that, to this. Some of them may be legitimately ideological. Some of them may be more rooted in public positioning and public messaging. Uh, in other words, the determination may have been made that ultimately the overt brutality that Shikau and Boko engaged in was counterproductive and um, wasn't a way to win Nigerian Muslims uh, over to their fight. At any rate, it's very, the messaging with Shikau's death, which is you know high-profile messaging, which will be heard, is uh, very clear. Their assessment of Shikau and why they killed Shikau has everything to do in their messaging uh, with his brutality, with him being a terrorist uh, and the like. Um, one other thing that's worth mentioning is that it's clear that that is not 
the only area of disagreement between the two organizations. You had personality clashes, factional clashes, a leadership uh, split and the like. So it's obvious that this is not what one can simply distill it down to. That being said, ISWAP's messaging and Barnawi's messaging is significant. But uh, we can say that Boko Haram is one of the most infamous terrorist groups of the last decades. So how did that happen? And what kind of, what kind of role uh, Shekau played in, in all of this? Uh, Shekau is a monumental fi uh, figure in Boko Haram reemerging. You know, Boko Haram circa around 2009 uh, was on its back legs. Uh, you'd had you know, a major um, offensive operation by security forces against Boko, and it had to uh, regroup. Uh, now, th there's opacity in, in the regrouping. Uh, my assessment is that a lot of the regrouping occurred outside of Nigeria's borders. Um, Shikau was a very charismatic, magnetic figure. Uh, and um, by uh, the early 2010s, it was clear that Boko had made a comeback. Uh, at the, you know, in 2014, uh, it steadily uh, gained ground in Borno State in Nigeria's Northeast. It was, um, its forces were capturing territory, controlling territory, uh, descending upon the capital of Maiduguri, which ultimately prompted a four nation offensive to beat Boko Haram back. So there's a lot that went into the organization's comeback. Shikau was central in that. And in addition to just military strength, there were other reasons that they were so notorious. Everyone remembers the Chibok schoolgirls who were kidnapped. Uh, that was certainly one aspect that brought them international infamy. Um, they also killed a large number of people. They killed a large number of civilians. Um, so some of these things that had launched them into infamy uh, and I would say helped made them an attractive target for ISIS to recruit in the first place. Also um, are contributing factors in at least the public debate and public denunciation of Boko by ISWAP, by Barnawi. So now if Shekau is dead, what's next for, for Boko Haram? I think the what's next for uh, Boko Haram, and that, that in this case, we're defining Boko as uh, being the faction that was led by Shekau, um, which was a smaller faction than ISWAP. It's will the group survive? Uh, there's a decent chance that it won't. Shikau, um led the group. Now, there's a lot of opacity about its leadership, so uh, there will be there are legitimate questions about how involved he was in the day to day. But it's not clear that there will be glue that holds it together. I think it's clear that not all the members of Boko are going to um, join ISWAP, but you know, will they maintain some sort of at least nominal organizational cohesion, or will they turn into just small groups of bandits and militants? who uh, opportunistically extort people and commit crimes and you know, kill. We don't know what the answer is, but that right now to me is the, the major question. Is there going to be some sort of coherent Boko Haram that survives Shekau? And if you, if you look at the statistics on leadership attrition within militant organizations, Usually militant organizations um, survive the death of their leader, no matter how charismatic that leader is. But I think that there, there are certainly some exceptions. And the exceptions occur when there's an unusual cult of personality around a certain leader, number one. 
Number two, when there is a lack of organizational depth. And number three, when there's a major offensive that's designed to obliterate a militant organization. Um, the end of the Liberation Tigers of Tamil Alam, uh, LTTE in Sri Lanka is a good example of you know, just a major offensive military operation, which was designed to inflict maximal attrition upon that organization. And you know, it seems that all three of those factors are to some degree or another at play here. Uh, you had a cult of personality built around Chacao. It's possible that there's a lack of organizational depth. We can't say that certainly because of the opacity surrounding the group. But also we know that there is a, a, a major offensive operation against them. Granted, it's an offensive operation that's driven more by ISWAP than by professionalized militaries. But we can see those three factors at place at play here. And you know, it's possible that Boko as a distinct entity and a coherent entity will not survive. You have been reading my mind a bit because I just wanted to ask if, if there is any well-known case in which the death of the leader of the significant uh, jihadi organization led uh, to the group's demise. Uh, so are there any? Yeah. Um, so uh, obviously, I, I gave the example LTTE, which is not a jihadist organization. But a good example in the jihadist sphere would be the Islamic movement of Uzbekistan, IMU, which also was pursued by another militant organization. Now, in that case, the roles were reversed. Uh, the IMU, which had been based in Afghanistan and allied with the Taliban, publicly switched its allegiance. Um, and you know, its, it's emir at the time was Uzman Ghazi. They, they switched their allegiance to ISIS and the Taliban ended up cracking down on them because of that switch in allegiance, which basically wiped out the IMU as a distinct militant entity. Um, so that is one example with a lot of the factors aligning with how the factors here look. Uh, there's smaller factors, there's smaller instances in which it seems that groups were wiped out, but um, you know, none of them as prominent as IMU. So for example, you had uh, Jindal Khalifa, which was the Algerian branch of ISIS circa 2015, uh, which uh, beheaded a mountain climber, a French mountain climber, Hervé Goudel, and then uh, got wiped out by Algerian authorities. But they were a small group. It's not clear that they numbered more than two to three dozen. Uh, so that's not really fully comparable to either IMU or BOKO. So I think IMU, the Islamic movement of Uzbekistan, is the um, most significant exemplar of a jihadist group that was wiped out with the attrition of leadership. But in general, we can probably say that to kill one leader or even to decimate the leadership is usually not enough to get rid of the, 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 the more significant organizations. Correct. And in the two examples that we get, that I gave, um, again, one of them not being in the jihadist sphere, um, it's not just decapitation of a leader that made the difference. In the case of LTTE, you had a merciless counterinsurgency campaign being waged by the Sri Lankan military. And in the case of um, the Islamic movement of Uzbekistan, it wasn't just the killing of Usman Ghazi. It was also the fact that the Taliban killed a large number from dozens to hundreds of uh, IMU militants um, and forced many others to surrender. Uh, so there is there is a lot being done to the organization at the time. Similarly, here in Nigeria, I think we can very clearly say that it's not just that Shikau is killed. Shikau is killed as part of a broader operation, and that operation on ISOP's part seems to have escalated after Shikau's death.
Interestingly, there is one very persistent rumor from the jihadi world that the leader of Al-Qaeda, Ayman al-Zawahri, is dead. What do you think about this? We just we haven't seen any reason to take this rumor seriously. You've often had rumors of this sort, including um, for a long time prior to bin, Osama bin Laden releasing his dramatic October 2004 video, there were lots of rumors that he was dead. In this case, you have a ver- a an unsubstantiated rumor uh, which has caught caught a lot of people's attention. That happens from time to time. It's not impossible. But I, I haven't seen any particular reason to treat this with more credibility than any other rumor that we've heard over the years. Probably Al-Qaeda is a very good example that even if you, if you kill one leader or even if you decimate the leadership, that the group uh, can still exist and even thrive. Am I right? Absolutely. And part of that is that Al-Qaeda has a much stronger internal structure and internal coherence than um, it is often attributed to them. Um, this actually intersects with some of the debates we saw in 2011. I mean, you and I were in touch then. You and I were in touch in 2014 to 16 at ISIS's height. And you know, both times, I remember being in the distinct minority among expert commentariat. In 2011, kind of the death knell of Al-Qaeda argument was what most analysts believe. Uh, the Arab Spring revolutions and the death of bin Laden was supposed to um, make Al-Qaeda a very much diminishing presence. In 2014 to 16, uh, people thought that um, ISIS's rise was going to break up Al-Qaeda. And um, indeed, not a, ma- not a single major Al-Qaeda branch ended up defecting to ISIS, even though we heard time and again that it was likely that it would do so. Sometimes it's hard to understand what's below the surface but there was a very coherent series of analytic bets that I made with contemporaries at the time. And it is very clear that 2011 and the Arab Spring revolutions did not diminish Al-Qaeda. And it's also very clear that 2014 to 16, even though ISIS's rise um, replaced Al-Qaeda's unipolarity in the jihadist realm, you now have a competitive jihadist sphere with two organizations vying for dominance. It's very clear that ISIS's rise did not destroy Al-Qaeda's coherence and did not take a major branch of Al-Qaeda. Now, I mean, there, there's one big exception and one debated exception. Um, you know, the big exception is Ansar Bayt al-Makdis, um, which became Wilayat Sinai. That wasn't a named branch of Al-Qaeda, but it was very clear that Ansar Bayt al-Makdis was Al-Qaeda aligned. The debatable exception is Boko Haram. And the debate is about whether Boko should be considered an unofficial branch of Al-Qaeda. I won't get into the debate about that, but um, suffice it to say that for its major recognized branches, which is where, the, which is where at the time the bets lay, for Al-Qaeda in the Islamic Maghreb, Al-Qaeda in the Arabian Peninsula, uh, Shabab, and uh, also Al-Qaeda in the Indian subcontinent, none of them, uh, none of them. Uh, experienced a switch of allegiance. You did have some breakaway factions, but we can actually see organizational coherence within Al-Qaeda. Now, it is not clear that Boko Haram under Shakao has the same sort of um, organizational coherence and levers of control that Al-Qaeda very clearly did possess under the hood. Is this rivalry still ongoing between Al-Qaeda and ISIS? Is it 
it's clear that there's still a rivalry. Um, there's no question about that. It's not as hot as it was in 2014 to 2017, um, in part because the, the battle lines are uh, now drawn fairly well. You've had some reports of cooperation between the two, especially in Africa, though um, there are disputes about whether the reports of cooperation are true. And it's clear that um, the reports of cooperation are interspersed with very clear examples of infighting. At any rate, the bottom line is yes, there's still a rivalry. It's not as intense a rivalry as it was before, but as of today, there is still a rivalry between the two. This was another episode of my podcast, The Global Agora. Subscribe, listen on Spotify, Google Podcast, and on the other platforms. Thank you for listening and stay tuned.